the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by V Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage for real fans. Get detailed coverage of every trade, all the free agent signings, all the fifth-year options and storylines on your team, as well as expert analysis about when sports will be back from guys like Ken Rosenthal, Michael Lombardi, and Pierre Lebrun, plus deep insights from analytic gurus and former team executives. Join today for a 90-day trial, plus 40% off your yearly subscription by going to theathletic.com slash spottrack. That's theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Good evening. My name is Mike Giannetti. Today we'll be joined by a very special guest, good friend of the show. Uh, I've done some work with him over the past couple of months. He's got tons going on. His name is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, kind of a journeyman. He's an incredible story. Can't wait for you to hear it. And uh, he's going to talk about not only his career, but we'll get into a little bit of the Andy Dalton signing and what that means for Dallas. And then Scott Allen stops in for his weekly visit. Talk a little basketball, a little bit of the MJ Last Dance documentary, the fifth-year options that were due today, and what that means for a couple of players. And then we'll uh, wrap it up after that. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with former NFL offensive lineman Ross Tucker. Happy to be joined today by former offensive lineman turned media mogul now, right, Ross? Ross Tucker, thanks for joining, man. Mike, anytime. Uh, I certainly would not say media mogul. I would say guy that's trying to avoid a real job like the plague. Although, you know what? I feel like you can't even use that phrase like the plague anymore with the virus going around. <laughs> I think it's probably a poorly timed expression there. But, yeah, man, done a pretty good job of it so far. I always laugh. I'm, I'm 41. I haven't had a real job yet. And I went to Princeton and have not used the degree yet. Shout out to my parents for paying for me to go there for four <laughs> years rather than the scholarships that I turned down. Maybe I shouldn't be on a podcast that talks about finances or whatever, even if it's football. But um, yes, uh, it's been been fun. The radio stuff, doing the games, and I kind of lucked into the podcast game, but it's gone very well. I always joke that I'm a journeyman that played for five teams in seven years. Now I have five podcasts that are produced over seven days, like the Ross Tucker podcast, which is pretty much every day. Uh, the fantasy feast, which is for the fantasy folks out there, even money. If you're into betting college draft, if you're into the college side of things and business of sports podcast is my guy, Andrew Brandt kind of taking you behind the scenes as to what he did when he was a team executive. All of it's outstanding. And by the way, it's not normal to run five podcasts. So you're, you're using that Princeton degree. Trust me. But dare I ask, what did you go to school for? Yeah. So I majored in politics, but that's an interesting one, right? Really? Cause I went as a freshman. You did too? No, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that you did. I, that was not the answer I was expecting at all. Yeah. No. Well, so Princeton has really, really old fashioned majors, right? Like it's like philosophy, anthropology, history, politics. And I, you know, I always thought, thought kind of thought I wanted to get into business or, um, media. Yeah, I grew up like wanting to be uh, an ESPN broadcaster or write for Sports Illustrated. I loved Sports Illustrated growing up and my dad's 5'9", 170 pounds. So I definitely never thought I'd be an NFL offensive lineman. So I thought I want to do write for Sports Illustrated or whatever. And then started getting recruited by colleges. 
And my scholarship offers were Delaware and William and Mary, which are great schools. But I just thought, oh my gosh, if I can get into Princeton or Harvard because of football, like nobody from my family has even ever thought about going to schools like that. You know, like I'll, I'll never forget Mike, my, my grandma who lived till she was 104, by the way, she came over the first day the colleges could come to your house and both the Prince and the Harvard coaches came to my house. It was like, I feel like for a grandma, it was like, okay, like my lineage is going to be all right. Like it's you know, like <laughs> the blood, the blood lines are flowing. Like we, we have a kid that's actually going to go to an Ivy league school. This is awesome. So she could not have possibly been prouder. I went to Princeton, I guess the closest thing that they have nothing like communications or for media, the closest thing, the business is economics, but it's all really theory based, a lot of problem sets, and I just realized I didn't love it. And um, writing papers came naturally for me. It's like kind of like the uh, I have verbal diarrhea. I also have like typing diarrhea. Like once I start typing and writing about something, I can just go. So politics was something where all you had to really do was have an opinion and then defend it. And uh, I'm pretty good at that. So I just took a bunch of classes where I wrote papers and ended up doing pretty well. That's excellent. That's a really cool little story there. So, all right. So fast forward, we're into a football mode now. Um, what's it like? You, you grab an agent out of, out of Princeton there, obviously. Here's where I want to go to, because I want to get to the draft a little bit here, you know, fast forward to 2020. But from your perspective, um, are you being told that you have a chance to be a late round draft pick or are you being courted into the UDFA situation right away? Yes. So it's a great question. And the answer is I only ever had one agent call me and his name is Joe Linta. Oh, you nice know, one. he's got like Joe Flacco, yeah. Delaware, Cam Brate, Brian Hoyer, you know, guys like that. Right. And, um, he believed in me. He actually ironically went to the Princeton Harvard game when I was a junior and Isaiah Kasavinsky was a senior guy drafted in the fourth round at a Harvard, a linebacker. And I had a pretty good game throwing him around and cut him a couple times. And so Joe had called me, you know, in the off season after that game and said, I think you have what it takes. I thought, well, okay. Never got another call from an agent because I got a reject grade from Blesto, which is sort of like the, uh, the precursor evaluating agency. Uh, they actually graded two of my fellow offensive linemen, but gave me a reject grade, which I was kind of surprised by, but whatever. So Joe stuck with me and going into draft weekend, you have to understand, I told the story to somebody else recently, but second semester senior year of college is glorious, right? Like second semester senior year of college at Princeton, you only have two classes. You've already done everything. You're like going out. Like my buddies were going out every night. Meanwhile, I'm going to bed at 10 when they're going out for the night. I'm getting up at five and doing combine drills and pro agility drills. And keep in mind, nobody from Princeton had even been signed as an undrafted free agent since Keith Elias in like 94. So it had been seven years, but I had an agent that believed in me. I had a teammate, Dennis Norman who ended up getting drafted that helped because some offensive line coaches came to work him out. So that helped. Um, but going into the draft weekend, I was told by my agent 50, 50 chance, whether or not I would even get signed. And back then there were only 80 men, 80 guys on the off season roster, as opposed to 90 now. 
And there were no mini camp tryouts. Like you had to be signed to participate. Whereas it's kind of a bummer for the players, uh, this year's players, because all those guys have gotten mini camp tryout opportunities like, uh, uh, a James Devlin who was on Monday's Ross Tucker football podcast or Cam Brate or whoever that they, they don't even get, they don't even get a chance as a tryout guy. They don't, they don't even have tryouts to go to, which is really unfortunate. So I sat there, Mike, both days of the draft, Saturday and Sunday, only one team called me and they called me twice. It was the Cincinnati Bengals who back then in 2001, they were like the dredge of the league. Like they were like the laughing stock of the NFL. Hadn't had a winning season since like Boomer Esiason in 88 or something crazy. Right. Uh, but they called twice, like once in the first round, once on like the start of the last day. And I was like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Drop me. Um, but that didn't actually happen. And my agent had told me that, uh, the longer it took for him to call me after the draft, the worse of a sign that was. But he told me it was 50 50. I'd even get a call. I'd even get signed. So I am super nervous thinking, did I just like waste five months of my life training and not partying or hanging out? And it's going to be all for naught. So I sit there. It's an hour after the draft. Now it's an hour and a half after the draft. I'm starving. Like I need to eat something. And he didn't call. And I just figure, it's not happening. Like I, I am distraught. So I walk out to my eating club to long story, kind of like a fraternity and sorority combined into one night. And I try to eat something. Everybody's outside. It's like a gorgeous day. They're all drinking beers. The girls are like in sundresses. They're eating like burgers and brats off the grill. And I had like half of a burger and I couldn't even eat. I didn't even look my friends in the eye. I couldn't I, I, like, I honestly, I just wanted to like cry. I wanted to die. I wanted, I, it was awful. So I finally, I'm like, I can't stay here. I walk back to my dorm room as I'm going up the steps. I hear the phone ringing. I'm like, what? And this is like right before cell phones or right before at least I had a cell phone. So I run up the steps. I grab the phone and Joe Linta's like, Ross. I said, yeah, he's like, where were you? <laughs> I'm like, well, I waited for an hour and a half. You said the longer it was, the worse it was. He's like, well, congratulations. You're the newest member of the Washington Redskins. And I was like, yes. I mean, I, I, I just cannot tell you how excited I was. And this will put it in perspective for you, Mike, how bottom of the barrel I was. My signing bonus was $0 and zero cents. I asked him, I said, what were you able to get me any kind of signing bonus? And he said, Nope. He said, I, I was just trying to get you an opportunity. I wasn't going to, wasn't going to push the limit. Um, so anyway, um, I immediately sprinted Mike right back out to the eating club. Yeah. Now you're I the walk man. Out, I, I walk out to the backyard where all my buddies are and I just raise my index finger and I just say, and they all look at me. I, I come busting through the doors. Right because I sprinted out there. They all look at me. I raise my index finger, like the number one. And I just say Redskins. And I get chills. Every time I tell this story, all my buddies came up. We all started jumping up and down. Uh, it was amazing. Um, the funny story about that, by the way, too, is I got two more for you on the money side, right? We get down to mini camp on Thursday and my roommates, this guy named Brad Harms from Northern Iowa. And, and that first night, you know, we're in the dorm room, not the hotel room, 
And he's looking at his check and he's like, man, these taxes are brutal, aren't they? And I'm like, he had a $5,000 signing bonus, which was like, you know, 2,700 bucks or whatever at the taxes. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, terrible. I hate, I hate them taxes. Yeah. Meanwhile, I got no bonus. I got no check. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, terrible taxes. And what's crazy about it is that first weekend, Mike, I did very well and he struggled and he ended up getting cut like after the first weekend. And I said to my agent, I'm like, can you get those $5,000? I'm way better than that guy. Can you, can I get, can I get harmed from Northern Iowa? Can I get his $5,000 please? Cause I could, re- I'm 22 years old. I could really use $5,000. So anyway, so I go back. The funny thing is they had given, they sent me a $71 mileage reimbursement check <laughs> for driving from Princeton to Newark airport to fly down to DC. And that was the first check I ever got from an NFL team. $71 in, in April of 2001. And, uh, during this whole COVID-19 thing, I gave my mom all my, um, scrapbooks to kind of work, you know, work through them. And I saw the check in there. Awesome. I never cashed it. That's awesome. it. It was, it was before, you know, mobile deposit or whatever. And I just, in my mind, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the money. It was about, my dream and achieving my dream and playing football as long as I could, by the way, that all changed fairly quickly, but at the time, at least it wasn't about the money. And so I never deposited that. So here's my two, two questions. I guess just one question, Mike, do you think if I tried to mobile deposit that now it would work? No, not a chance, not a what chance. Happen? Yeah. They'd be, they'd be calling. You might be able to make it happen because it's from such a trusted source but they'd have they probably have to go through channels to make they have to reissue it I would imagine because they would because it, <laughs> it says April something two thousand one on it. Do you need money, Ross? Do you need seventy one dollars? I guess <laughs> we got to set no. up a GoFundMe. <laughs> no, but you know what? I was going to, uh, you know, I just think about it now. Like I could still, I was going to post it like on Twitter and be like, Do "Hey, it. look, my first check, I never cashed it, but I don't want other people to try to check it to cash. I want to cash it first and then say my first check that I never cashed." <laughs> That's an awesome story. And oh, by the way, you're leaving out the best part. Three months later, you make the Redskins. Something less than ten percent of UDFA's do in the league. I mean, it's getting more and more so now. But back then, no way. H- how did this happen? How did you go from barely getting a phone call to making this roster and sticking the whole year? By the way, something that also doesn't happen. So uh, there were a couple factors. One was the year before, the Redskins had gone out and basically signed like the nineteen ninety All Pro team. In 2000, Irving Fryer, Andre Reed, Deion Sanders, Bruce Smith, Jeff George. I mean, you name them, they had signed them and then they got rid of a bunch of them, right? Andre Reed and Deion and whatever. So the Redskins were in sort of salary cap purgatory. So they needed to have some guys make a minimum. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. That's number one. Number two is. You know, I always say this. I thought it would be harder. Like I I had built them up so much in my head, how good NFL players would be. Cause when you play it like Prince in the Ivy league, you watch like Florida state play Miami back then. And you're like, Oh my gosh, if we had 
15 guys on the field the whole time where we'd be able to win. You know what I mean? Like you, like you literally have funny conversations like that just because you know how good, like it seemed like those guys are so good. But then I got there and, uh, I just remember, first of all, I never messed up mentally and the other guys, the other rookies kept messing up mentally. And then they kept putting me, I played guard in college and they moved me to tackle there and it was going well. So then they put me at guard and I, um, the guy that was supposed to get second team reps at tackle, like a big tackle from Baylor, it failed his physical. So I'm getting second team reps nice. yeah. and I'm, and I'm doing well, like I'm blocking guys. So I got off to a fast start. They kind of liked me right away. Then we get to training camp. It's like, okay, the pads are on now. And I don't know, man, I was just like killing dudes. Like the rookies I was going up against, I was killing. They would give me reps with the second string at like both guards, both tackles, and I would do well. And so I think they knew right away. Like I, I, I second degree sprained my MCL on like the fifth day. But back then with Marty Schottenheimer, it was two, three hour padded practices every day. So I'd already done like nine practices, right? Before I tore my MCL and I was really balling. Like I was, I was kicking some serious butt. So then when I tore the MCL, they were all, they already liked me. And then I actually had to miss the first preseason game because of it. I come back for the second preseason game and I only been, I've been playing mainly right guard and right tackle. But in the first preseason game, the kid they had at left tackle had like three mental errors and the backup quarterback got hurt. So like, well, we just can't have that put Tucker at left tackle. So I never played left tackle in my life and I have a partially torn right MCL and they put me at left tackle for the second preseason game. But my first time ever in front of 70,000 people, right at FedEx field. And here's, what's crazy. The fourth play of the game, Chris Samuels gets hurt. And I'm supposed to play the second half at left tackle. I'm just standing there because I'm like, well, they're not going to put me in with these guys. Like, they're not going to put me in with these guys. Schoenheimer looks at me and says, get in there. (laughs) So I, like, run onto the field, and I'm in the huddle, Mike, and it's I'm looking around. It's Steven Alexander, Michael Westbrook, Steven Davis, Jeff George, like I'm in the huddle with these guys that I've been playing Madden with the sure. last four yeah. years. I hadn't taken a single rep with the starters in training camp. I'm, I got a partially torn right MCL that I break the huddle. And this is back when the starters played the whole first half. Right. So I come, I break the huddle and the Falcons D line are all the guys I had watched in the Super Bowl three years earlier against the Broncos. It's Travis Hall, Patrick Kearney, Shane Dronette, Brady Smith, all like 6'6", 290 with rippled abs. I was like, holy crap. Had never gone against a guy like that before in my life. And I could barely push off my right leg. So I say to Jeff George, I'm like, hey, Jeff, I, I will not get beat inside. And... I will not get run over, but it is going to be a short corner. I am setting hard and firm. And so the last thing Jeff George wanted was to get hit at all in a preseason game because he's got some rookie schlub from Princeton out there. So Jeff George is like dropping back five yards, stepping up and throwing it at two and a half. Like it was, I mean, it's a hilarious video. 
but I kind of held it down. Like I, I just set firm and hard and the guy was running the corner at seven yards, but Jeff George was stepping up. So I was okay. And what's really crazy about this, my first time ever playing and I, all my friends are in the front row and I'm coming over and they're like, dude, this is crazy. I'm like, I know <laughs> I go out there early in the fourth quarter. I'm going against this guy named Chuck Wiley and I go to punch him and he does like some karate chop move. And all of a sudden my hand is my left hand is killing me. And I think I dislocated my finger. So I say to the guy next to me, um, David Brandt, he's from Michigan. I'm like, yo, I think I dislocated my finger. Like, what do you do? He's like, pop it back in. So I try to pop it back in and all I feel and hear is crunching. Like crunch, crunch, crunch. When I try to pop it back in, the next two plays, I sort of keep it holstered down by my side and just use my right arm. I come off and they they could tell my shoulder or something was bothering me. I come off and they're like, what happened? I'm like, my hand. I take my glove off, Mike. My fourth metacarpal, like on the bone, stick into the skin. I broke my I broke my hand, number one. Number two, I tried to pop back in a broken hand. I don't recommend that. Number three, Princeton, I played the huh? next two snaps <laughs> with it. So then I got to go get an x-rayed. I'm like waving wow. to my parents and friends goodbye. So then I don't play in the next preseason game because my hand's all messed up. I come back for the last preseason game with it like totally bandaged up. And I'm thinking like, this is my last chance. And I know they like me, but I'm thinking at this point, they're going to decide between practice squad or IR. You know what I mean? Like kind of like red shirt me. Cause I'm a fresh rookie from Princeton that got hurt in uh, training camp twice. Right. The MCL, the broken hand, or maybe active roster, maybe. So um, I'm flying around. It was at the old Gillette Stadium or Foxborough Stadium, whatever, 2001 against the Patriots. And I'm taking my like cast on my hand and like smashing dudes in the head with it. And uh, the, you know, the next, the next day, all the coaches are laughing at me, like jumping around and flying this cast around to people. And a couple days later, um, I'm in my, uh, in my room hotel room and they tell you you know stay in your room we'll call you by noon well i thought they called you either way i thought they called you whether you made the team or not but they only actually call you if you get cut so i'm sitting there and like at 10 30 my phone rings i'm like hello they're like justin i'm like no it's ross tucker and they're like where's justin skaggs i'm like i i don't i don't know he's not he's not in this room i said no. I said, I said, do you have anything to say to me? Are you going to be called? Like, what, what do you have to say to me? <laughs> you know, like, I want to know what happened. He's like, I don't think we're going to be calling you today, Ross. And I was like, okay. Like, I, I didn't know what that meant. So then I sat there for another hour and a half. Now it's 1215. And I call my agent and I'm like, I still haven't gotten a call whether I made the team or not. And he's like, you haven't? He said, I said, no. He's like, All right, let me make, he makes a call. And he calls me back and he's like, oh my gosh, oh man, oh man. I'm like, what? He's like, you made it. You made the roster. And Mike, like, my eyes are filling up just telling you that story right now. Top five moment in my life. Uh, it's just, it's hard to describe 
you know, not many people get to have their dream come true and they get hurt twice and still make it. And he said something then like, and you would know the math, but he's like, you're, my rookie minimum in, in 2001 was 209,000. Sure was. And he yeah. said something like, you're going to make $12,500 a week for the next 17 weeks. And I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I had $0 to my name, right? Like zero. And I owed Princeton money for student loans. So then I had to get in my car and drive back to Pennsylvania to get my stuff. All I had was like a bag for training camp. But now like I, I'm staying, I'm on the team. So I drive back to Wyoming, Pennsylvania and I call my mom and my dad. My dad was golfing. I call um, my sister, my girlfriend at the time was now my wife, my high school coach, my college coach. That was the fastest drive and the best two and a half, three hours of my life calling all those people and telling them that I had all the people that mattered and it helped me along the way and telling them that I made it. Holy crap, man. That was unbelievable. So I got two more things. Incredible story, by the way. Incredible. And, uh, two more things for you on this career and then we'll move on for just a few minutes. You must've passed the eye test everywhere you went. And you know why I say that? Because the teams who picked you up on waivers were in division every time. The Cowboys picked you up after the Redskins, and then when you went to Buffalo for a few years, the Patriots then picked you up after that. So you must have been showing something on, on tape that these, that these in-division teams kept seeing because they kept bringing you in for at least a few weeks. Well, you know what it is? I think um, I always laugh because I was always good enough that somebody would pick me up, but I was never good enough that I could stay for a while. Yeah. And, uh, I think one of the things that happened to me, uh, I think in fairness, right. I think I could have probably been a starting center for a few years or maybe a starting left guard, right guard was tough because teams would slide the protection left so much. And I was, um, a liability in one-on-one pass protection. If I had a lot of opportunities there, I, I like, I like to think that for a good four or five years there, I was one of the best inside swing guys in the NFL. So I ended up starting 24 games. Mm -hmm. I started at least four games at center and both guards. Not a lot of guys have done that. I always laugh. I always joke that, you know, if you're really good, they'll, they'll just leave you at a spot, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's why not many guys have done that. Cause if you're really good at and you're playing really good at right guard or center, they'll just keep you there. But including preseason and regular season, I, I got time at all five spots. Wow. And so what I was, was really smart, uh, really tough, aggressive. I would not lose the game for you. You probably always thought that you could do better in terms of a starter at the position, but I think I would have been able to play a good 10 years if I never hurt my back in Buffalo and never had that back surgery. Cause in 2004, I started 13 games by far the most money I made in my career. I had gotten a three-year extension as a restricted free agent yep. and I got like 225 to sign. My salary that year was 600 or 500 maybe. Yeah, and five, then, yep. and then I had a $350,000 playing time bonus. If I hit 80% of the snaps and what's crazy about it is I knew my back was totally messed up. 
But if you remember that year, we were winning. Like we were playing well. We, you know, we were nine and four in the 13 games I started. We won like six or seven in a row and we were going to make the playoffs. And so I was getting a Tordal shot, two flexorals mm. to muscle relaxant, two Laura tabs for pain, you know, those last, that last month of the season. But number one, it was the best year of my career. We were winning. I was starting. And number two, I had this 80% playing time. I was for $350,000. I mean, that was more than I made my first year, more than I made my second year. And so I got it. You know, I, I ended up, I, I don't remember how many snaps I was at, but I was over the 80% threshold. So I ended up making whatever 225 plus 500, 725 plus 350, almost $1.1 million that year, which was incredible. You know, for me, you know, that was more than I had made my first three years combined. So uh, it was a really, really special year, um, really special year. But then unfortunately afterwards I had a back surgery and I never started another regular season game. So I started 24 in my first four years. And then that next year I hurt my, I, I, I missed the whole off season with the back. And then during the conditioning test, I tore my hamstring. And then when I came back from that, I hurt my neck. And I don't know if it was all spine related or what, but I think that the bills just thought, he's damaged good at this point. And so then they cut me, but then I had no proof for any other team that I had played after my major back surgery. Cause it was two levels is L four, L five and L five S one. And so, um, and I kind of hung around for the next couple of years, but never really was the same player and never started another game. Yeah. I've got you. Uh, I've got that 2004 season with the bills as more than half of your total career earnings. So that was a huge year for you. It was it was it was going to be the turn the turnkey year for you. So it's unfortunate that things didn't work out. You know what else I thought was cool, Ross? And and maybe you don't think it's as cool as I do. You go back to the Redskins to finish it off on that veteran minimum contract, and they throw you a forty thousand dollars signing bonus, which to me is kind of like retribution for not giving you one out of the gate as a UDFA. So I think that I think that's a nice little gesture by them. Well, that's funny that you say that because. They weren't going to do that until I called Hugh Jackson personally because he had been a coach with the Redskins in 01 and 02. And Hugh Jackson was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons in 2007 with Bobby Petrino. So I called Hugh. I said, Hugh, you got to bring me down there because I'll be your swing inside guy. And let me set the tone during mini camps and training camp about Cause I knew he loved me. So he said, let me set the tone for you about the kind of guys you want up front. Never mess up mentally play like a son of a gun, fly around hitting people after the whistle, whatever. And he's like, I love it. And so the next thing I know, he next thing I know, 10 minutes later, Les Sneed calls me hmm. who at the time was the assistant, whatever for the, uh, for the Falcons and my agent, Joe Linta, was like on a plane or something. So Les Snead calls me. He's like, hey, uh, Ross, I just talked to Hugh Jackson. And, um, you know, uh, we want to we we bring you in. We want to get you signed down here to Atlanta. You know, he's like, you were out of the league last year, so we'll offer you the minimum. And I said, um, I said Les, that, that sounds fine. I said, but I'd already talked to Greg Williams and Chris Samuels and John Jansen, and they had put a good word in for me with the Redskins. And so the Redskins were going to bring me in for a workout the first day of free agency. Um, the next day 
I said, uh, Les, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, thank you. I said, but I'm going to, to the Redskins tomorrow. And if they offer me the 40,000 bonus for the minimum exemption, like I, I got to take that, right? Like I, I got to get some money out of this, you know, for the off season and training camp. So I just want to be upfront with you. Like if they offer me that, I'm going to take it. And he's like, okay, well, you know, we can't do that. You're out of the league last year, blah, blah, blah. I, I said, totally understand. So then, um, like 20 minutes later, Mike, I get a call back from Les Snead. He's like, all right, I just talked to Hugh and I talked to, I think maybe it was Rich McKay or whoever. He's like, you got it. You, you got the 40 grand. And I was like, sweet. He said, so are you coming? And I was like, well, probably, but I already told the Redskins I would go there tomorrow. He's like, all right, well, let's bring you down Monday then. I'm like, okay. So this is like a Friday. So we're down to the Redskins the next day. And, um, the Redskins talk to me and whatever, and they offer me the minimum. And I'm like, uh, I, I appreciate that guys. Um, thank you very much. But, uh, cause Greg Williams and Jansen and Samuels have all put a good word in with Joe Gibbs for me. They're like, yo, you got to get this guy for all the same reasons why Hugh Jackson said like, so that's why I always got picked up Mike is because playing for so many teams, there was always like a coach or a prominent player on a team that was like, you got to bring this guy in. Like he's awesome. Like he's, he's a perfect backup. Like he's exactly what you want. And so I always had sort of like, I call them lifelines on these teams. So it's crazy because I end up going to the airport and I'm about to fly to Atlanta. And right when I'm about to take off, Eric Schaefer from the Redskins calls me. I handled all this, like all of it myself. I shouldn't even pay Joe for this. <laughs> and Eric's like, uh, Eric's like, um, you know, Ross, we want to offer you, like we said, the, the minimum, are you going to sign it? I'm like, well, I mean, I said, Eric, I'm, I'm about to get on a plane for Atlanta. Like I'm going to, you know, and they already told me they were going to give me the signing bonus. Like, so I'm going to go down there and uh, you know, I'm going to sign that. And he's like, okay, I understand. And then, um, so I fly down there, I land. Okay. As soon as I land and turn my phone on, it's ringing, it's ringing. And it's Eric Schaefer. And he says, Ross, we'll do the 40,000. I said, okay. Now I knew that the Falcons were skeptical of my back and that they might have me sign an injury waiver, but at a minimum it would be a split contract. So I'm in a limo, Mike, with Joe Horn, who was like a big time free agent. And it's just me and Joe Horn, like the third day of free agency in a limo. <laughs> and they take us to uh, this medical center, get back in the limo and <clears throat> a guy comes and taps on the window, opens the door and it's a different car. He's like, uh, it's not a limo. It's just a regular car. He's like, Hey Ross, we're going to take you back to the airport now. I'm like, okay, why? He said, uh, you know, you failed your physical and the Falcons did not like that. I had, um, that the back surgery was at multiple levels. So I immediately, while I'm in the car with the Falcons guy, I called Joe Linta and I'm like, tell the Redskins I accept. And, uh, so he calls the Redskins. They say, okay, they send me the contract. I sign it. I get the 40 grand. And the real irony of it is they didn't have me 
sign a split contract like the Falcons were going to do at a minimum. And I ended up herniating a disc in my neck in the third preseason game. So I ended up getting paid for the whole year on IR, nice. um, which was a, a nice way to go out. Now, now my neck still bothers me, so I'm not like thrilled about it, but if I was going to hurt my neck anyway, at least I got the full, the full money for it. So just another, I, I, I got, I got, I should write a book today. I got so many crazy stories like that. <laughs> yeah. Nothing was easy for you. Holy cow. I, I love it. I love that you did all that yourself too. That's uh we don't see too much of that. Especially I didn't right even now. need Mike Giannini for it. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was still in college, Ross. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, this is great. I want I want to get to one thing about the, uh, the current state of the game before I get you off here. And I, I, what else can we talk about but quarterbacks, right? I'm sure you talk about it nonstop right now in your five podcasts. But like, give me, give me your, your take on this Andy Dalton situation because I'm going to guess you have a pretty logical take on this. Yeah, so I think, number one, I, I think Andy Dalton probably didn't love the other situations that may have presented themselves, whether it was going to New England to follow in Tom Brady's footsteps. Yep for a team that's not as good or going to a crappy Jacksonville team. I also think Andy Dalton is a big time family man and already lives in Dallas. It's where he's from. It's where his wife's from. That's where I think their in-laws are, you know, the families and with all the virus stuff going on, I think he put a lot of value in being able to stay home and thinking, I'm going to get $3 million minimum to live in my own house with my family for this year and then see what happens with the quarterback market going into next year. And I'm either the backup and I don't get hit at all and I get $3 million to hold a clipboard. Or if I do get in the game or games, if Dak actually gets hurt for once, I'm on a loaded team. Like I'm like the offense is loaded and so I can really put myself in a great situation, sort of like Bridgewater did. So I think he looked at it like the downside is $3 million to stay home in Dallas and not get hit once. And the upside is start for the Cowboys and really do something special. And I think he liked those options. And that's, that, that'd be my, I haven't talked to Andy, I don't know Andy, but that would be my get, that's my read on it. As for the Cowboys, you know, I've gotten in a debate with some people over this, including I think some of your, I guess we'll say competitors, Mike. Yeah. Um, I believe uh, that the Cowboys did this in part because my guess is Andy Dalton's agent told them that he'd be very interested in this. And they thought, wow, we get Andy Dalton for $3 million. But also, I think they knew deep down it does give them a little bit of leverage with Dak. I don't think it's a lot of leverage. But I think Dak knew that the Cowboys before did not have a viable alternative. Now he knows they not only have a viable alternative, but they have a very inexpensive viable alternative. It changes the dynamics a little bit. I don't care what anybody says, number one. Number two, we all know that the long-term deal would have to be negotiated by July 15th. But Dak could still choose to push the envelope of his displeasure by sitting out all of training camp until week one and or saying, I'm not signing it unless I get a clause that says you can't franchise me again, or maybe even more money for one year. I think he loses a decent amount of leverage 
on trying to get more favorable one-year terms now because now he really doesn't want to let somebody else do his job. He doesn't really want to let Andy Dalton show that he can go out there and play pretty darn well with C.D. Lamb and Omari Cooper and all these guys. So I think I think if you're acting like it's it's a game changer in leverage for the Cowboys, you're wrong. But it's also not zero. It, it couldn't possibly be zero. No, it can't. And and, and l- let me just tack onto that. I don't think it's about any kind of contract stall with Dak Prescott. I still think all that's going to go on as it would have no matter what. But the reason Andy Dalton chose Dallas, a lot of the reasons you already gave us, but another one is there really wasn't a starting option out there. I'm not sure New England actually offered him the starting job in terms of a contract. And I don't think Jacksonville wanted that either because I think Jacksonville's trying to go down, not up. So, you know, reports might say otherwise, but there just wasn't, there weren't options for Andy Dalton. There also won't be options for Dak Prescott. <laughs> then that's just a fact. No, I don't. You see the Patriots bringing in Dak Prescott, Ross? Would that be an option if he becomes available? Well, they don't really have the money to do exactly. it right now. There's just not an option. So it has. There has to be leverage in this. There, there, Dallas has to own leverage, even if it's three million guaranteed versus thirty-two million guaranteed. That's what we're talking about here. But of course, there's leverage built into this because the option for Dak to hold out isn't hold out and go somewhere else. It's hold out and not play football this year. And that, that's what they've done. Dallas has covered their bases for the opportunity that Dak decides not to play football for a couple of weeks this year. They now have a viable starter who wants to be in Dallas anyway. I think if it's 5% leverage, it's still leverage. It still counts in my book. Correct. Anytime you have a viable alternative, that is leverage. Right. And there's no way no for Dak how to you go. Look at it. And not any piece of leverage is like a game changer or game altering leverage. Like leverage is a lot of times a bunch of tiny pieces combined to make something that actually matters. It's just an annoyance. It's really all it is. It's just going to bother. It's going to bother the process just a little bit, just enough. I I still think it gets done. Do you think it gets done? Multi-year deal? Yes, I do. I think, I think by July 15th, it gets done because I think, um, I think this will push Dak a little bit more to do it, quite frankly. And I think the Cowboys still want it to happen. Yeah. And this is the exact road that Zeke Elliott went down. It took forever. It got down to the finish line and then it got done. And I'm not sure they're happy about it, but it got done, right? <laughs> Ross, this was awesome. Got to have you my back pleasure, again. Mike. Anytime. I love when you come on the Ross Tucker football podcast or any of my podcasts and encourage your listeners to check them out, rostucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found. Anytime I get to tell some of those stories, I love it. It takes me down uh, memory lane, which is almost 20 years ago now, which really makes me feel old. <laughs> I'm with you there. Where can we find you on Twitter, man? At Ross Tucker NFL, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. And we're still going to be churning out the content over these months. Uh, Andrew Brandt every Wednesday, Greg Cosell. We're going to get dive into Cosell's concepts and discuss what an RPO is, what different coverages mean. It's going to be fun on Fridays. And then Mondays we have special guests like uh, Jimmy Devlin, the Patriots fullback that just retired. I knew him way before he was James Devlin. He'll always be Jimmy (laughs) Devlin to me. So everybody can check that out as well. You're the best man. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. While most sports are currently at a standstill, it's never too early to start preparing your updated fantasy football draft roster. And there's no better resource than Fantasy Pros with their flagship draft wizard, 
Mock Draft Simulator, you can customize any format that your fantasy league plays. Run mock drafts in a matter of minutes against realistic opponents and prepare for any scenario your draft might face. Everything's going to be updated. We've got rookies, we got UDFAs, there's plenty to deal with right now, especially if you're a dynasty draft. And, you know, extensions like Deshaun Watson will matter to you. Get in there, start cranking the numbers out, start figuring out what the heck is about to happen here as we push towards the, uh, you know, the, the preseason schedule and things like that. It's going to come soon, especially with nothing else going on. So keep up with it on Fantasy Pros. Visit fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl today. Get a head start on your competition. Again, that's fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl. Joined again by Scott Allen, the other piece of the spot track puzzle. Scott, let's start with the NBA here. Welcome back to the show. Well, there's not much to talk about NBA-wise unless we dive into what could be coming. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Anything new there? Are we still talking Disneyland? Mm, I mean, it's there, but yeah. not much to talk about. I mean, you can't even project, uh, you know, rookie salaries and the the and and uh, NBA draft has. Uh, been indefinitely well, moved back until things have really been figured out. So, I mean, everything's up in the air. That's an so. interesting tidbit, though, because them doing that versus having a Zoom draft like we just saw the NFL do so successfully has to make you think they're doing everything they can to get a season in because you're not going to have a draft before a season ends. You right, can understand you would have that. To know. I mean, imagine yeah. the Lakers drafting LeBron's replacement or something stupid like You know what I mean? You just wouldn't do that. From a from a logistics standpoint, so the fact that they're saying we're indefinitely postponing this draft has to make you think they're trying to get this thing done. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it too much here, but Disneyland does seem possible, but it only takes one positive test, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. No more need to say there. No. All right, let's talk about something we can actually get to, which is the Last Dance parts one, two, three, four. Is it five and six? Yeah, five and six. Five and six. Yeah. Uh, good, really good content couple of really good quotes to take away from it. I want to start here. I've heard I've seen it a little bit on Twitter today. How are you how are you handling the direction of this? Are you okay with it? Or are you struggling? I'm struggling a little bit with the bouncing around. Yeah, a little bit. Um I think the way that are you talking about the bouncing where they go from the timeline ninety seven yeah. and then jump back? I, I get it. They're trying to connect the dots from one thing to another. Uh, I, I'm okay with it. I. It's obviously leading up to the next episode's got to be where he he goes to play baseball. I mean, it's all obviously going in that direction. Um, I think the gambling part they're really honing in on, and yeah, that was a big part of this for sure. The um, and creating the uh, the idea that he's alone because he's so popular that that was all good. That was all really well done. But, yeah, I'm, I'm specifically targeting the bouncing around a little bit, which I understand you want to get all that content in because it's you have to show the cause before the effect. Um, I, I just wonder if there was a better way to do it. My guess is, do you think they anticipated having two hour sets like this? No. Because if the, I, I think, I think if they the original that, plan, yeah, I think the original plan was to do one hour, ten weeks that were one hour episodes, and and go from there. I think that's right, and I wonder if they knew now what they're doing. Would they create an episode that's just 1992? And create an episode that? Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. And yes. then it, you wouldn't be bouncing back and forth within the same episode. 
You could basically say mm-hmm. we've got two episodes that 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 join together. They come together at the end, but you have to watch the first to get to the second. But you can watch yeah. the other. You can watch them out of order. That's that's another thing I'm worried about. Are you going to be able to just watch these, watch these out of order? To me, I don't think you can. Yeah, I wonder about no. that. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's it, it, the content's been really strong, really, really strong. The Charles Barkley stuff was outstanding yesterday. It's just another uh, boy. That's just not the kind of guy who's going to make that kind of quote <laughs> without meaning it. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's not going to say those kind of things out loud uh, about I don't just, think just you, anybody. You wouldn't hear that now. Oh no! It's like somebody somebody praised Steph Curry. No, yeah, yeah, never gonna happen. I mean, to to a, maybe on a small degree with the right person, maybe Steph was the worst example to give you there because I bet you people do think Steph's pretty great because he's not big and bulky and intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I he's do more of a finesse, um, you know, which a lot of people don't like. But uh, he's probably not the kind of guy that people would never speak highly of. Jordan was everything. <laughs> Is is that what you're taking away from this? Because that's what I'm. T- I I grew up. In, I mean, Jordan's my guy. I grew. I was twelve, yeah. thirteen year old, Mike Janetti watching Jordan at his peak, and uh, I mean, he was everything. And you can have the debate about where would he be now in this in this game versus where would he be in the old school game. I don't think it matters. That's what I'm taking away. I he's going to work at whatever it needs to win in whatever era he's in. He's going to make him everybody around him better. <laughs> he's just he's the ultimate competitor and the ultimate basketball player A to Z. That's it. Yeah. I, and and I realized more so how much of a competitor he is yeah. through this. I mean, I knew before that he was, but even more so now and it, even down to the littlest you know, gambling with security guards with quarters against yeah. the wall for 20 bucks. I mean, it, phenomenal information, so video. So let's stop there because that's actually a twofold piece. And I'm not sure they captured it or, or conveyed the message that they were trying to get across there properly. That's not just about a gambling problem, <laughs> right? Right there. That's about being lonely as hell. That's both. Yeah. That, that's a perfect microcosm of exactly what happened to Jordan over a five-year span. He got lonely but that uber competitive spirit did not go away. In fact, it probably got more and more. You know, you win one, you want five more. That's that's what happens to every athlete. But you put a, a competitive guy to that degree in that scenario, who's also good enough to hold up to it, right? He, he's actually the guy who's allowed to have the ego and allowed to be that competitive because he's good enough to beat you every night. Um, but he got to such a dark place because of the constant, constant, constant publicity and the constant questioning um, that that room, that back room with, with security guards was like a sanctuary for him in, in two regards. Number one, there, mm-hmm. was, there wasn't 150 reporters sticking microphones in his face. And number two, he got to make a couple of bucks, which yeah. were both things he were good at. So as that episode went on and the gambling got more and more involved, you know, or more and more exposed, I, I just I started the research. Because that's, you know, the second it started to turn to money in Jordan, I got intrigued, piqued my interest, and I started to go to the some of the sources that I, I like to dive into when I look at these major high-profile athletes. Did you see the tweet I put out last night in, in response to all this? Because I, I thought the Ahmad Rashad interview where he basically said, and it didn't sound great, but 
It's something along the lines of my wife hasn't left me. I'm still putting food on the table, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yikes! That that's a that's yeah. a that's a cry for. I don't have a problem, and at the same time, I might really have a problem here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I'm actually, I'm good at this, so I can't have a problem yet. That's really what that was saying to me, right? I haven't yeah. lost all my money yet, so how can it be a problem? Well, um, go ahead. he didn't. He didn't care who he played or what no. he played. I mean, even the fact that he was playing for a thousand dollars in a poker game and yeah. then went to the front of the plane and said, for "Hey, yeah. you guys are paying dollars. I'll play. Let's yeah. go." <laughs> Just to say he was better. I mean, it shows the competitiveness, but then it shows, like you said, it, it shows the uh, how, how how deep and how lonely yeah. he was with that. Yeah, there's no question, and and, and I wonder why. I, I wonder why the gambling had to come into effect because you know having to make that three thirty tea time that could have been that could have been just about get me out of this public you know public life and onto a course with some beers and a couple of guys and a cigar. I wonder why he had to rekindle the competitive spirit even there. You know what I mean? Betting on every hole, betting on every putt. Well, I I wondered when I was watching, at what point did it really ramp up the gambling? Well, I think that's coming. But I I guess when you say ramp up, do you mean why did it start at all? I guess that's what I was asking. Like, if he was such a a, a troubled person because of the public life, which, God, who the hell can blame him? I mean, that has to be awful – but why did he have to continue to make money off it? Is my point. When, yeah, when he went I, I to guess, hide away, why did he have to continue to make money off it? To me, that is the that is the problem. That is a problem because well, I, 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 that would be the last thing in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking, was he doing these kinds of things in uh, in college or yeah. in the beginning when he was first in the NBA, or was there some kind of trigger that said, "Hey"? I, I can do this. Was it because he had extra money that he could just, you know, use and, and, and try to make more off of it? Or at what point did it really kick in that he really was gambling, 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 didn't matter what it was, whether it was on the course, in a security guard office, in a locker room, you know, and it makes you wonder so what, what else outside. We're in what 1992 here with, with, with all this we're talking about. Is that where we are? 93 or 92? Yeah, 92. I think that was. So he hasn't even gotten his balloon payment yet. Not even close. He's still making no. two and a half million a year. But right. that that's what piqued me, Scott, to go and start looking at what, where the endorsements were at this time. Because obviously they were there, but I wanted to know how much financially he was being impacted by those. Because the the idea of him saying I'm not I'm not I haven't gone broke yet. That that triggered mm-hmm. in my head. Of course not. You know what I mean. Of course not. And, and the exact opposite is probably why you're so comfortable betting a hundred dollars on a putt. And, and I went to look, and it was ridiculous. His first Nike deal was two point five million dollars. His first, yeah, in the eighties was yep. five hundred thousand a year. I thought they really missed on not laying some of that stuff out right there. Maybe Jordan didn't want it on there. And I can understand the privacy of that, but I think they had a real opportunity to lay out the endorsements on those between those two episodes last night and really show just how big he got financially and and how that had to be a factor. And maybe they will mm-hmm. on these next two when they really get into the problems of the gambling, or, or at least the public the public opinion of it. But 
I think they, I think they really could have gone deep. I mean, I did it in 240 characters, right? I mean, he started at 2.5 billion last year. Nike paid him 130 million dollars last year, and he's only making like five percent on shoes. That's how much his shoes and his products are still selling. He made 130 million dollars last year, <laughs> 20 some years later, uh, or sorry, 35 years later from his original deal. Um, he's going to pass two billion dollars in net worth this year. Yeah, two billion, crazy. So, I mean, you're going to have a, a majority who are going to say, "Yeah, go bet a hundred dollars on a putt." What the hell does it matter to you? But there's a sociological side to it, of course. That that this documentary is going to tr- try to get into. Not to mention, yeah. and I think it's very good. And I've heard a couple of really good analysts get into this as well. This should be as much about the public as it is about Jordan. This should be as much about how our lust and desire to destroy celebrities. And that's what we do. <laughs> There's no bones about it. And, and oh, by the way, you and I are guilty. Spotrek.com does not oh. help. It, yeah. it does not help celebrities personally in a lot of regards. It is a mm-hmm. public-facing entity that promotes you know, fin- financial information about individuals. That's just what it is. There's a lot of sites out there that do this for all the different, I mean, you can see a teacher's salaries throughout the United States if you want to, but um, but you know these are celebrities, and you know what, our, our data is just one version of how people are so invested into what these people, men and women, do every single day, earn every single day, uh, their impact from an athletic standpoint and from a, just a go into the bar standpoint. To me, I hope the documentary continues down that path not just looking at how Jordan handled it or what he went through, but how the public had such a huge factor in why he had to walk away in 1994. I, I hope we get there. Yeah, yeah, and, and like you said in the beginning, he was everywhere, and they started to show that at the end of the uh, episode six, I think it was, where fans were going everywhere. Yeah. They were they were trying to you know touch him, say hi, uh, and <laughs> I don't know if he, it's just the quarantine, but the guy who reached over and like rubbed his head after the game, yeah. that made me cringe. Yes. I mean, maybe it's because I'm a bald man and I'm quarantined. I don't want to touch anybody right now, but that was a cringeworthy moment. But yeah, I mean, yeah, well, the fact every that level the, possible. The Atlanta Hawks w- went into the Georgia Dome yeah. and said they could have sold another 15000 just for people to go in and see. I mean, it shows the impact that... <laughs> He was almost bigger than any venue possible, and anyone would pay to go see him. Fifteen years that. later, by the way, they're doing watch parties outside, so they missed them. You missed on that one, Atlanta. You should have built a watch party outside. Everybody would have gone and bought your beer and, <laughs> and your yeah. hot dogs. Um, yeah, the, there's no question. I, I, the takeaway I, I continually try to keep on on track with is just this guy was the best, the best. And he had flaws, and cool. we, we crush him for those flaws, and we're going to get into a lot more flaws soon here, but um, I, I he's thought the best. One of the, I think one of the best interviews was the Kobe interview oh. where he said, you know, would I beat him on a one-on-one? He said, Michael is in me because he has yeah. mentored me, so yeah. there's not really a discussion about it. I mean, I think that was fantastic. I, uh, I went to Twitter – to, to put some of that info out after the sixth episode finished. And th- that's the first thing I thought of was, man, we are all missing out right now on a Kobe Bryant reaction. We are, because he mm-hmm. would have had a great one. He would have had he a thought, thoughtful, 
planned reaction to what that what, what that just was, and uh, we missed the boat on that. That's too bad because you know you, they're having all these athletes on like Sports Center afterwards. Like Barkley was on last night live to kind of give his updated version and updated take on things. You, they, Kobe would have been on that. They absolutely would have had Kobe on Sports Center with SVP or one of those guys just to talk about you know the actual impact and go in more long form versus the you know thirty second clip we saw. So. That's that's a bummer for sure that we don't get to see this uh, you know kind of the second coming of Jordan to some degree, and uh, at least have the reaction to all of this because I have to think the uh, the All Star Game huddle. <laughs> uh, do you think Kobe? Do you think Kobe's seen that footage? Do you think he ever saw it? Uh, Where Jordan's not. basically calling him, you know, this yeah. whole this whole game's going to be one on one, and and, and yeah. this guy's going to ruin the league and. All he wants to do is go kid. to the hoop. Yeah, the new Laker kid. I wonder if Kobe ever saw that footage. Because it's, bo- it's both endearing and, you know, talking smack, which yeah. that's exactly what Kobe would have wanted out of Jordan. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, good stuff. Anything else stand out for you? No, that's about it. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go in the next two here. Obviously, baseball. I think baseball is going to be next. I mean, they're leading up. I wonder how long it. they stay on it. I wonder how long they stay on it. I mean, there's there's some goods and some bads, of course, but I, I wonder if it's kind of more about him having to leave versus where he went. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, I do think they have to stay more on the sociological side of things right now because they've gone down that path. They teased us now enough with this gambling, and the, uh, the they're building up the uh, the resume to why he had to retire. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think the baseball stuff is going to be ancillary because there's, I mean, it's not like there's highlights of him mashing balls. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, mean, I mean, he it was really just a getaway. It was a vacation. He, by the way, he was pretty damn good. So if you if you don't know that, spoiler alert, he mm-hmm. he was. I I wonder if I put him up against Tim Tebow right now because I've seen a lot of Tebow now in the Mets farm system. Tebow's in AAA. Can't stay healthy, but he's he's a he's a halfway decent player. He he's like a fringe player, fringe backup professional outfielder. I'm not sure. I wonder if they if they get to that with Jordan about how close he actually got. But I, I bet it's a similar situation. I really do. He I mean he could play some ball. Mm-hmm. So if, we'll see if they get there. All right, good stuff. Uh, let's talk a little football. Finish this thing up uh, today. We're at Monday, May fourth here. May the fourth be with you, of course. Uh, was the deadline for fifth-year options for next season for 2017 first-rounders. We've got an article up there on spotchart.com that lists out all the uh, all the statuses, exercise declines, and the values that they are getting or would have gotten. Anything stand out for you here? I think it went pretty much exactly like we thought it was going to go. Um, I mean, it's a little it's a little telling that there's only been one extension. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they've had five is. months now to, to extend these guys. No Watson extension, no Mahomes extension. I, my guess is the new CBA plus the COVID-19 is just a bad recipe for that right now. And that's why we haven't seen a franchise tag guy extended. And we certainly haven't seen a first rounder from 2017 extended outside of McCaffrey, which <laughs> makes absolutely no sense because of all the guys who could have got extended – the running back probably is the last one anybody would have anticipated. Um, how about this? How about three, four of the top five picks from 2017 declined. Seven of the top 15 declined. 
That's not yeah. good. <laughs> it's not good I mean, at all. That's a heck of a lot of swings and misses right there is what that is. Uh, not to say that these players are done. It's just that they're not worth the injury guarantee that would lock in when you exercise, you know, $25 million from Mitchell Trubisky, a player who may see the field, may see some preseason time, and even if he gets injured in preseason and can't come back next March, they got to pay him $25 million. So the Bears didn't think that was worth it, as you, as you might imagine. Uh, Corey Davis and John Ross are wide receiver busts in the top 10 here, and Leonard Fournette, I just think, I think he's worth $8.4 million next year because he did have a nice 2019. But A, the Jaguars, and B, his place on the Jaguars just seem too fragile to lock anything right now. So while I'm I'm surprised at how many top tens were declined, when you break it down by player and team situation, it doesn't really surprise me at all. Any names here stand out for you, Scott, going down the list? No, not not too much. I mean, we talked about Trubisky a couple of pods ago, yeah. whether they were going to exercise or decline. And I, I think I said they would probably decline and yeah. whether or not. Uh, you really went on a wall there, Scott. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> that no, trade I, for the other quarterback didn't put you in those in that driver's seat or what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what stands out the most is it looks like there's more exercised in the teens, uh, 10 yeah. to 19. There, there's a, most of them are exercised in there, which is, is kind of interesting. It shows that this draft in particular, most of the value was in those teens instead of in the top 10 at this point. And, yeah. uh, uh, and the other thing is nothing is a, is for sure. You know, we always say 50, 50 on quarterbacks and, um, you never know with what you're going to get. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the positional breakdown of what was exercised versus what was not is really interesting. For instance, all three tight ends exercised a lot. A lot of that might have to do with the price tag It's $6 million, which is about $5 million less than the highest paid tight end in football. So, I mean, that's a big step down. So, Basically, what you're saying is this guy's only got to be average, and he's worth the price tag. That's what you're saying right there. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw a couple of edge players get 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 exercised, but they're later, like you said, so they're not going to be massive, massive price tags, ten million dollars around there. And then all the cornerbacks. All the yeah, cornerbacks. I was going to say foot. Four cornerbacks were exercised, and yeah. three tight ends were exercised. Those are the highest of the position. So, it was a bad free agent season for both those positions. So mm-hmm. generally speaking, teams didn't upgrade that position this offseason to the degree that they might have said, we can probably move on from this guy next year. So they want to at least bring him in because, again, and I'll restate this again, it's important. This is the last draft class where anyone who was exercised is injury guaranteed but not fully guaranteed until March 17th, whenever the league year starts. So they, have, they get all of 2020 and then up until March something – to decide if they want to keep this guy for 2021, they can cut him the first before the first before the league starts in 2021. No dead cap, assuming he's not injured and in capacity physical. At, starting next year, though, when we talk about the 2018 first rounders, the second they exercise that option, it's going to be fully guaranteed, and it's not going to be valued. And we broke it down last uh, last week, and the pod check that out if you missed it. 
it's not going to be cut and dry. You know, the top 10 picks are going to be transition tags. The 11 through 32 are going to be based on, you know, the 3 through 25 values of that position. To some degree, that's going to exist, but there's going to be bonuses included and incentives and things like that. So uh, a little bit different next year. We'll, we'll have to reconvene this time next year and really understand how this all hashed out in terms of the values. But, yeah, n- n- nothing stood off the, uh, off the page for me here, but you can check that out. We've got the whole list. That's com right on the homepage. Uh, a couple of free agents that are still out there, really not worth talking about because I think we're a couple of weeks away still. Um, everybody's going through these Zoom mini camps right now, these workouts. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, I just wonder, you know, I wonder how long that can drag on before things, you, you know, generally speaking, we're about a month away from that break where all the front front office execs kind of cross their fingers and hope nobody gets in trouble. It's going to be a pretty good year for that because, you know, I know some of the country is opening up, but a lot of it's still going to be in lockdown and, uh, there's going to be quite a few, quite a few people who, uh, you know. All right, so keep an eye out for that next year. Let's talk about some of these free agents that are available this year. Obviously, Javen Clowney is going to be the big one. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get to these yeah. mini camps. If there's a training camp, I, I'm just so skeptical about what, about what could happen. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, it certainly seems like this league is going to do what it takes to get going, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, teams are going to have to wait until they can get on the field, I think. Nobody wants to pay Jadavian Clowney $17 million right now. No, and to me, that, that's the second price. It started at 20 Now it's at 17 Where's where this going to end up? Is this going to be a, you know, a Shaq Barrett one for $7 million? Could That's be. essentially what he played on last year, though, in Seattle. Yeah. I, I don't know. Who on, this, who on this list do you think would have the most impact on a team? Yeah. Uh, Clowney for sure. I mean, Logan Ryan's a little past. He's only 29, but he had a rough year. Otherwise, he'd be signing. Like I said, it's a, it was a bad quarterback offseason anyway. Uh, even though I'm sitting here looking at a list that has three cornerbacks available who started last year, Eli, Eli Apple, Prince of Mukamara, and Logan Ryan. So you have to think that they're late signs. Um, another thing to mention here is that the June 1st date is approaching. So you're going to have, in terms of the cap, you're going to have mm-hmm. a bunch of guys fall off, right? You're going to have Todd Gurley, Tremaine Johnson, a cornerback out of the Jets. Uh, there's a couple of more I don't have in front of me. But starting June 2nd, those guys will officially fall off. Their, their singular dead cap will kick in. So you'll see a big change in the, in the NFL cap tracker on our site for that. Uh, but there are quite a few cornerbacks here. They're just clearly not cornerbacks who are, you know, the first one snatched off the market. We'll see what happens now that the draft has passed. A couple of, a couple of teams missed out. Uh, I would imagine we'll see a, a wave of signings here in the coming in the coming weeks. It's just going to be slow going because of the offseason we're having here. Um, who's going to stand out the most in 2020? It's a good question. It's uh, it's not a great list anymore, that's for sure. Am I allowed to say Andy Dalton? Probably not, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's not on the list anymore. <laughs> no, he is officially signed, that's for sure. Yeah, I... I where Clowney ends up is going to be very important because if he goes back to Seattle, uh, he'll know his role. It'll be a modified role. It'll be at a modified price, but, but that's going to be a good team. So to me, that a little bit less money may be worth it in the long run for him. But if he goes to a team like the Bills, right, where he's an mm-hmm. instant upgrade, even on the weak side, he's an instant upgrade, even though the Bills did some damage in free agency at that position, or even the Jets. The Jets might be a better option for him. He becomes a focal point of the Jets' defense. 
So I would expect him to make more of an impact on a team like that versus a team where he's more of a complimentary player, even though right. I think a lot of the scouting reports say he's better as a complimentary player. You want to talk Cam and finish this thing up? What do you think? Think we're right? We've been saying it every single show that we don't think he's going to play in 2020. I, I think it's pointing more and more towards that. Yeah. Give me a team who could sign him as a backup. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a, an, an off-the-cuff team here. Uh, backup quarterback that Cam Newton could be on. Mm. It's the team we've all been talking about, but I think it's still going to happen. It's not the Patriots. Well, I have one, but I'm, I'm not sure which one you're talking about. Go ahead, hit me. I was going to say Seattle. Okay, I mean they need it. That's fine. To me, that's fine. I think Seattle's he, waiting to see who gets... complimentary to what Russell Wilson could do. To some degree, but that, that's a... I mean, holy cow. <laughs> that quarterback room, right? That's a... <laughs> those are some charismatic individuals right there is what you have. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good team. I, I actually, Scott, think that that Seattle's waiting to see who gets cut. I, re- I really believe that. I really believe they want to see what shakes out in, in Los Angeles with Tyrod Taylor. I want to see what shakes out maybe in Miami. There's just some things I think that are flexible, and I'm going to give you a, a team. My team is this team, and it's the team everybody identified four months ago, but I still think this, this happens because there is one organization because of the coach that I think Cam would play, oh. nice, would play yes. nice for. Yeah. I think, he, I think he still might end up with the Redskins. Yeah, Washington. I don't yeah. care that they traded for Kyle Allen. I mean, yes, it's a fifth-round pick, and that would be a terrible mistake. But I think if Cam Newton says, I'm going to be a good soldier, I'm going to come in here, I'm going to be the backup, I'm going to mentor you know, Dwayne Haskins as needed, let him get through this season and see what you have there, I, I, I actually think two things. Number one, he'll make a decent amount of coin to, to bet because Kyle Allen's making $675,000. So out, outside of the fact that you traded a fifth-round pick for him, you can cut him in an hour and a half with no troubles. Uh, you, know, you just have to swallow some pride that you, you gave up a pick for nothing. Unless you can maybe be shop him somewhere else, but I'm not sure about that. But you bring in Cam on, on Andy Dalton's deal. $3 million guaranteed with incentives for playing time and yards thrown and all that good stuff to get you up to seven, maybe, maybe closer to 10 with Cam if you have to. A little younger, a little bit more athletic. Um, but yeah, that's a two-fold situation. He, gets, he returns to Ron Rivera. He gets the mentor, uh, Dwayne Haskins, who I would imagine he'd have a good relationship with, uh, just knowing that Ron Rivera has probably started to school this kid a little bit in the same regard that, he, that Cam Newton was, was kind of brought up, right? So there's going mm-hmm. to be some, some connectivity just to how the, the room is run right now. And then two, if Dwayne Haskins is as bad as we all think he is, <laughs> there's an open spot right there for Cam Newton next year, and he's already been, he's already been in the system. So I, I still think it could end up this way. Yeah, that, that scenario would be interesting going Allen and Newton from Carolina, and then if he ended up there, then you got Allen and Newton in so, Washington all over again. So here's the – yeah, that's right. So here's the monkey wrench, though, <laughs> because I, I have to admit, I was busy with my family this weekend. I did not get to the Alex Smith documentary yet. Oh, so man. Don't, get, don't give me any details. I know it's going to get gory. Just, just answer me this. Is there a chance yeah. Alex Smith can be the quarterback for the Redskins again? Because obviously that's something I'm not based, even factoring in here. Based on what I saw, yes. In 2020? Uh, maybe not 2020, but I've, I, based on where they hinted and what he was doing at the end as far as working out, I think there's a chance. 
Man. Whether it's 2020 or 2021, there's a I think again, based on what I saw, there's a chance that he may be back playing at some point. I have I, to. I mean that's his that's his ultimate goal. Okay, so his guaranteed I mean, money falls off after this year. So he would be uh, I mean he'd have I almost, read he'd have two for forty left. Nobody's paying Alex Smith two for forty. They're gonna have to cut him. And then if they want him back, they can sign him back. But I mean, man, did they talk about the money at all? Uh, I mean, they're paying no. the guy seventy-one million dollars. I, I don't, I don't think they did. They focused more on the the medical aspect and the the rehab and and getting back. I mean, they went through the progression of him getting drafted and being on uh, the Forty ers and then being traded to. Kansas City, and then again being traded to Washington. Oh, yeah. I mean, total, total, uh, so they, uh, they went through the they went through the whole progression. Okay. Um, I'll, his ultimate goal is to be back, and um, I, I, without too much spoiling for you, I read a complimentary article that said when they were talking about you know, uh, he said don't don't take any of the muscles out of my lats. <laughs> Because so he could throw. If I if I if you take that, I can't throw, and um, so I'll leave it at that. Oh my goodness! Here here here's a second team that I that I thought of for Cam, for Cam. Okay, which which would be interesting. They they could probably use an upgrade on their backup quarterbacks as it is. Houston Texans behind Watson. I think that would sure. be interesting. Sure. There's no chance he replaces Andy Dalton and becomes Joe Burrow's backup. Right? Oh, no, I don't think so. Because it ain't pretty. I mean, they drafted no. Ryan Finley last year. He's essentially going to be the guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no veteran yeah, behind I, Joe Burrow I, right now. I, I can't say I, I can't say no. I'll retract that. I can't say no because anything is possible, especially when it comes to money and, you know, if he really wants to play. So, but. I still think Tennessee is the right team. I know they yeah. just gave Tanhill a ton of money, but his backup is Logan Woodside. <laughs> Who? Exactly. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Somebody should go in and Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> right? <laughs> but take the $4 million deal with the incentives if you play. And if if the current... Yeah, I mean, you, you had a, a, a pretty good tweet a couple days ago with snapshot of... Uh, backup quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys, probably 50% of the guys that are on this list, you may not even know that they were even in the league still or who their name is. You mentioned Seattle, and we'll finish on this, Scott. I feel like they're trying to outdo themselves, right? They they got lightning in a bottle with Russell Wilson to the the point of where they saw him in training camp for like a day and a half, and they said, we're cutting every other quarterback. This is our guy. This is our franchise quarterback forever. And now... It's not even about a mid-round pick anymore. Now they brought in a UDFA and Anthony Gordon, who people rave about, but they can't, they can't believe he wasn't a late-round pick. People think his agent kind of struck a deal with the teams to make sure he didn't get drafted. Um, but they say this kid, I mean, while he's not a bona fide starting prospect, we've seen it. We've seen it happen where guys come in and they just it just clicks. They get it. And what if that yeah. happens? What if Anthony Gordon, this UDFA in Seattle, is just the next coming? I'm not going to say he's going to, you know, supplant Russell Wilson, but if they know what they have, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I'm, 
I've read a few things and heard a few things. Patriots are the same way. It sounds like they Stidham. love Stidham. Exactly. And the kid can play. He can throw. Sounds like internally that's their guy. So I wouldn't be surprised. Sounds good. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. My thanks to Fantasy Pros. Visit theathletic.com slash Spotrac, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off and a 90-day free trial right now. Visit fantasypros.com slash spottrek-nfl. Time to start thinking fantasy as these rosters get into shape. You can do some mock drafts. You can set your league settings, import your fantasy leagues from all the different major sites, hit up all their draft tools, their expert rankings, all the good stuff. Get yourself in gear for the upcoming fantasy season, which for all intents and purposes is on track to start as necessary. My thanks to Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>